Well, I hope all of you had a great Thanksgiving. Um, I know it was a little bit different probably for most of you than what we usually have with Thanksgiving, um, but I hope that you did have a really good one. Um, I will say, and I told this from the, to the people at the first service, um, and I don't use this word really a whole lot, but I think it fits a lot. I'm actually very delighted to see every one of you here today. Um, and probably in more ways than one, because the last time that I had to give a sermon was when we were in a lockdown, and this was about three months ago, and uh, Jeff and Patty were gone, and no one was here, and I had to film myself doing the sermon inside the sanctuary with no one there. And I have to tell you, I hated it, <laughs> because I loved doing this. I'm like, where's people? And I just felt like, you know, just like, okay, hello. You know, Jeff has uh, become very, very good in front of a camera. Um, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to get, I mean, he talks to you like, you know, it's like you look at the camera and it's like, you feel like, you know, he's connecting. And I just have never done good in front of a camera. That's why I've always been involved in video and, and photography is because I love being behind the camera. <laughs> um, Otherwise, when I'm talking, I love this. So anyway, I'm delighted to see all of you here. So glad to have all of you here. And what we're doing um, starting this Sunday is we are starting a new series. Um, Jeff had finished off, which I loved. That was a fantastic um, series on, the, on Joseph. And we are now moving because we're moving into this um, time of celebrating the birth of Jesus. We're moving into what's called Advent. And Advent, actually the celebration of Advent, um, as we are seeing it right now, didn't really start until the Middle Ages. Um, it was really focused when it first started more on the second coming of Christ, more um, maybe even like Easter and stuff, where around the Middle Ages it switched to being focused on not just the second coming of Christ, but the first coming of Christ at Christmas. And so now Advent is the four weeks before Christmas. And different traditions will celebrate different um, themes. Um, what we're doing, did I have that right? We have hope. I think that's what I'm doing today. <laughs> Good. Okay. I'm doing hope. <laughs> hope that's what I'm doing is hope. Um, we're doing hope and then peace, joy, and love. Okay. Over the next four weeks. Um, all four of those, boy, do we need those during this time. Hope, peace, joy, and love. Um, and speaking of um, hope, you know, as I, as I was starting to prepare for this message, I think a couple things really stood out, out to me was in just this last year, it's really been a year marked by, I think, a lot of disappointment, a lot of despair, a lot of loss of hope. I mean, the things that we just took so much for granted, the things that we would actually hope in in a daily basis, like just being able to see certain friends, to be able to come to church. Um, all of these things that we normally put our hope in um, were just shattered. Uh, and I remember, um, you know, in the last several times that we met as a staff um, and with Chris Lazat, um, one of the things that he kept reminding us of is just how many people are really in a state of hopelessness right now, a state of despair, their home, they're um, struggling just being by themselves, not being able to connect with people. Um, and I appreciate you, Chris. I mean, you just always like have us remind us. I mean, one of the reasons we're here right now doing this service is because Chris kept saying, we need to be outside. We need to be, you know, we need to be meeting. So um, I'm just... Um, Super appreciative that we get a chance to do that. And as, as we look at this subject today of hope, 
Um, you, you know, it's, it's one of those words uh, that have both meanings in the Bible, but also in the world. And it's sort of like love. You know, love has many different meanings. Um, the world, and uh, when we think of it from a worldly perspective, a lot of times it's focused on feelings. And um, whether I love someone, um, or biblically it's focused on what am I doing for someone. Um, and hope, I think, as we hopefully as we take a look at hope today, um, I want to take a look at how there is sort of the standard meaning of what we think of with hope and how we use it. But what the Bible does is show us a different type of hope, what I'm going to call a better hope. In fact, and I'm not going to call it that, Hebrews 7.19 says that we have a better hope than the hope that we think of when we think of the world today. Um, When we think of hope, and I would call this sort of our ordinary hope, the way we mostly put hope in things and what we mean by that is Ordinary hope is really an expectation of something we desire. An expectation of something we desire. So what that means is a couple things about hope. One is it's future-oriented. All right, It's something that's going to happen in the future. It's an expectation of something happening. And it's always going to be around an expectation of something happening we desire. All right, I mean, we don't hope in something <laughs> that's negative. We hope in something that we want. Um, so it's an expectation of something we desire. And here's the, um, the hard thing about hope, is that hope is certain only when it happens, only when it's fulfilled. We don't really know if our hope is going to be fulfilled until it happens. Okay, The only time we can really be certain about our hope is when it actually takes place. So, for example, I could... I, today, coming to church, I could say, wow, I hope that there's going to be people here, <laughs> all right? Um, but I'm not certain about whether that's going to take place until I actually come here and I see you all here. Then my hope's been fulfilled. My hope's been realized. Now, if no one was here, then I would simply go home, probably in despair, <laughs> okay, going, oh, you know, where is everybody at church? So, um, so think of hope as we go into this. The ordinary way we think of hope is an expectation of something we desire and something certain when it's fulfilled. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at a story in Scripture, which I think will and hopefully will point us to a hope that's even better, a better hope than what we just talked about here. And so um, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 24 because that's the place where we're going to be looking at today is Luke 24, or if you have your phone and you have a Bible app on there, turn to the Bible app. Um, Patty had mentioned that we now have a new church app. If you go to the app store and search by Church by the Sea, um, well, I'll tell you more about it in the coming weeks, um, but you can actually go to the Bible through that app, too, if you want to. Um, so Luke 24, and let me open in prayers as we get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you just for this day. I thank you for this chance, even in this beautiful Laguna Beach, for all of us to gather today to open up your word. Especially want to lift up Chris, um, to lift up his dad, and just lift up his loss of his mom, Lord, and his whole family. In, in 2 Corinthians 1, you say that you tell us that you are the God of comfort, the God who comforts us. And we pray right now, Lord, that you will comfort the Lazat family. Comfort Chris, comfort his wife, comfort his dad, 
comfort his entire family, Lord. And we also want to lift up John. Lord, you are a God who heals. As you were here on earth, Jesus, everyone who touched the hem of your garment was healed. And we right now all lift up spiritually, Lord, um, John, that he can touch the garment of you as you sit in those high places in heaven, Lord, at the right hand of God, and that you will heal him. As we open this word today, Lord, show us that better hope. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> okay, so if you can take, uh, turn to Luke 24, and uh, starting at verse 13 in Luke 24, this is a very well-known story. Many of you have probably read it before. Um, it's called the Emmaus Road Story. And uh, what's interesting is how it starts out. It starts out by saying, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. That very day. You know, if you ever, like, are taken to Scripture and you start out reading someplace in Scripture and you read something like, that very day, you better figure out what that day is. <laughs> what is the context in which this whole story is taking place? And as I was trying to figure out how to bring apart that, apart that, bring about that context, um, I look back at um, chapter 23, and I'm just going to read you the headings, the subheadings in Luke 23, because it gets us a really good idea as to bringing us to that very day that this story begins. So in Luke 23, um, just the subheadings that I see in my Bible, it says, Jesus is before Pilate. Then Jesus goes before Herod. Then Pilate delivers Jesus to be crucified. And then the crucifixion of Jesus. And then the death of Jesus. And then Jesus is buried. And then Luke 24 starts out with the heading, The Resurrection. And let me just read that to you, Luke 24, 1 through 12. This is what happens right before that very day that we're going to read about. It says in Luke 24, verse 1, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said, Why do you seek the things among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the leaven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and... Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, and he saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. <clears throat> so, that's the context. Jesus has just been crucified on the cross. That very day this happened. And what we read, starting in verse 13, as it says, that very day, two of them 
We're going to a village named Emmaus. This is about, it's a city, a little city outside of Jerusalem, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And it says we, they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. That's sort of like what we do these days, isn't it? <laughs> Whenever we're having discussions with everyone, have you noticed a change from a year ago when you don't know what you're going to be discussing with someone now? What are pe- people talking about? All the things that have happened in the last six months, all the things that have happened since March. Um, and that's, you know, that's, so you can imagine the, these two are on this road. They're talking about all the things that are happening, focused around this Jesus. And then it says, in, um, it goes on, it says in verse um, 15, it says, while they were talking and discussing together. So now, you know, it just said they were talking, but now it adds another word. It says, while they were talking and discussing together. That word discussion is really probably not the right translation because the word here in Greek for discussion means arguing, um, debating. It means there's an emotional component to their conversations these two are having with each other. They're worked up about whatever they're talking about. All right, and so there's emotion and a little bit of argumentation maybe going on between them. Now, who are these two? Well, as we're going to find out in a few minutes, we know that one of them has a name, Cleopas, um, which is a male name, but we don't know who the other person is for sure. One, One thought as to who that is is that Cleopas is married to a woman named Mary, and it says in John that Mary was the wife of Cleopas, and Mary was one of the many Marys that were right before Jesus at the cross watching him be crucified. We all know where the disciples were. Gone. (laughs) They had run away, all right? But the women, the faithful women were there, and they were there as Jesus died on the cross. And very possibly, that is um, one of the women is, is, is Mary, and so now you probably understand if it's Cleopas and his wife Mary as they're walking home to the road of Emmaus, it gives a little bit more insight because they're arguing. They're discussing with one another. In fact, if you think about it, if you're married, <laughs> all right, um, you can probably relate to that. You get into heated discussions <laughs> with each other, going back and forth. And that's exactly what these, this peop, these two did, assuming that they're a couple, is they, they had those heated discussions about all that was going on with them. Um, and that's something, you know, it's, uh, with a lot of the stuff going on in our nation and politically and what's going on with COVID, you know, within families, you might have experienced yourself between husband and wife, um, between husband and wife and kids, there's just a, a lot of discussion, a lot of emotion <laughs> around those discussions and arguments going on. So you have these two discussing. And then what it says, as it says, as, as they're having this discussion, it says that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now, we don't really know how this took place exactly, but Jesus, who we know because we have insight, so we're being sort of told something that this this couple does not know yet. This person comes up 
and starts to engage them. Now, why does Jesus come up? Well, maybe it's because this couple was arguing. And he thought, this is a great couple for me to come up to and, and start talking to them about what has been going on. But he hid himself. They did not recognize who he was. Now, we know that Jesus was resurrected at this point. He had a resurrected body. Somehow, he was able to make it so he was not recognizable. We don't know exactly how that happened. But what we do know is they did not know this was Jesus who came up to them. Um, so it said, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And then it says, and then Jesus says to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? So Jesus now tries to engage these two who are arguing. He comes up and sort of interrupts them. He now tries to engage them in a conversation. says, what is this conversation you're holding with each other? And now we get some more insight as to how this, these two people were feeling. Because as he asks them that question, so sort of imagine, you know, they're arguing with each other. Jesus comes up to them. They don't really know who this stranger is. He asks them a question, and they just stand still. And he gives us some insight now into the heart of these two people. Because it says, and they stood still looking sad. Looking sad. That word means despair or depressed or downcast. They were really in despair because they had placed their hope, as we're going to find out, in this Jesus who had just been crucified on the cross. And they were just devastated, really is what this word gets across here at this point. So then it says, then one of them, named Cleopas, answered Jesus. Are you the only visitor? So he asked him, what's going on? And, and Jesus says, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? It's like, are you, do you have your head in the sand? Like we would say, what planet do you live on? Can you not imagine what is going on? I mean, it would be like one of us going down into downtown Laguna Beach and all of a sudden we see this person sort of walking around and they're like looking and we're like, and, and we said, you know, and they look at us and they go, what's going on? Why, why are all these people wearing masks? <laughs> I mean, what, how would we react to that? We would say, do you not know what's going on? Don't you have a clue as to what's going on? How could you not know what's going on? And so Jesus is doing this to start engaging them in a conversation, obviously. And so try to find out what is going on in their heart. Why are they arguing? What are they sad about? Um, and so we read on that. Um, and it said, and he said to them, what things? And they said to him. So Jesus asked them, what, what things are going on? Acting, you know, like he doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> of course, we have insight to know he did, definitely is the one who knows what's going on. But it says, and he said to them, what things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. And then here's the key passage. But we had hoped 
that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Think about how we defined hope. Hope is an expectation of something that you desire and hoping that it's going to, the expectation that it's going to happen. Now we see from these two what they have placed their hope in. And it's interesting when we read this because if you sort of read between the lines a little bit and you look and say, what have they placed their hope in? They placed their hope in this man named Jesus who was a prophet mighty indeed and were before all the people. And that's who they placed their hope in. And their hope was that this person called Jesus, this man Jesus, was going to redeem and save Israel. Now you have to get some context here. Because to what this what is going on in Israel at this point, and all the people within Israel, and the people particularly within Jerusalem, is that they had been spending hundreds of years hoping that God would come back. That he is one who saved the nation of Israel, made the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And he had brought them to this land, their promised land. And then through what happened with King David, they had taken over the land. And then with what happened through King David, the nation just went downhill. The nation split in two. Then the whole nation, the people were just exiled out into multiple lands all around um, the country all around the nation, all around those nations around there, Babylon, they were sent all these different places. And then they started to return back and started coming back to Jerusalem, their hometown, and to Israel. But what's interesting is in Israel, in Jerusalem, is where the temple is. This is where they worship the one true God that they believed in. But it's been hundreds of years now. When Jesus shows up, it's been hundreds of years since they've seen the evidence that God has returned back to the temple. They've come back, but they haven't. And so their hope is to see God again, to know that their God is going to come back and be their God. But even worse is that their nation is no longer ruled by them. Their nation is now ruled by Rome. Rome is the one who's come and oppressed these people, and they are hoping for a savior, a Messiah that's going to come in like King David did and destroy Rome, get rid of the oppressors, and give them back freedom, give them back their nation. That's their hope. And this hope had actually almost been realized about 160 years before Jesus came. There was someone, you don't even know his name, (laughs) okay, because we don't remember it. Because it was through the Maccabeus um, revolt that someone claimed to be that Messiah who was going to save Israel. But you know the reason why you don't know his name? Because he was killed. And he did not rise again. And so now this new person, this new Jesus came along and the people are seeing all these signs through miracles and everything he says that, that he is their hope. He's the one that's going to redeem them. He's the one that's going to finally destroy the evil, destroy Rome, destroy the oppressors, and God's going to come back and save them. And a week before this event, Jesus rides in on a donkey. 
and the people, you know, you hear about the celebration as he rides in a donkey what, week before. Why? Because they're saying, this is the king. This is our Messiah. He's going to come in and he's going to bring an army and he's going to destroy Rome. And they're hoping this is going to happen and they're hoping this is going to happen as they watch Jesus get arrested. And they're hoping this is going to happen and that he's going to somehow come down off that cross when they put him on that cross. They're hoping that he is their savior. And then he is put on the cross, the most horrible way to die. He is crucified. He is taken off dead off of that cross and buried. And their hope has been lost. They are in despair this hope for a savior is gone. And notice it to what it says there. It says that they had hoped that this man who was a prophet, mighty indeed and were before God, but that the chief priests and rulers or leaders, own leaders, delivered him up to be condemned and to crucify him. And they had hoped that he was the one to redeem them. But I want you to listen now, because we know a lot more about Jesus, don't we? <laughs> we know a lot more about who Jesus is than just simply someone that came, was to come to just save this nation of Israel, and that he's not one who came with this military force in which to do that. Um, and so it, so it continues on. It says, Moreover, some women of our company amazed us, and they were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found out it was just a woman, and just as a woman had said, and but they did not see him. So they had hoped. They know he's dead. They're hearing these rumors about what's going on, and they're still very confused. What, what is happening? What is happening here? Um, and so Jesus then says to them, as they're describing who this Jesus was and what they had hoped for in him, he comes back in verse 25 and he says, And Jesus says to them, Oh, foolish ones. So he's now saying to this couple, they're still having no idea who he is. And he says, Oh, foolish ones. And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So I want you to think about what Jesus is doing here. He is telling them that their hope was pretty limited. <laughs> they had hoped that he was the one, that Jesus was the one that was going to just save this nation of Israel and restore them and get and and to to um, you know get rid of the oppressor to get rid of Rome. And there's no way that a savior, that the Messiah would die, <laughs> let alone die on a cross. That to them told them this was not the savior. But Jesus says, wait a minute, you who have lived by these scriptures I've given you, these, this Old Testament, these scriptures that have all pointed to me, you didn't see it. You missed it. Your hope is still being put in a place that's limited as to what this God, our God, is going to do, what Jesus is going to do. And it says, oh, foolish one, slow of heart, 
to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ, that their Messiah, should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And so Jesus then takes all of the Old Testament without, again, them even knowing it's Jesus, and says, look, all these things that have happened, including the death of this person that you put your hope in on the cross, all these things are for a greater glory. All these things are for more than just the nation of Israel. In fact, all of what has happened is for all the people of the whole world that I'm going to bring my salvation to everyone, not just the nation Israel, but the entire world that he's going to bring that to. And this is a good, this passage in Romans, it's Romans 6, 5 through 10, I think really summarizes, so they thought this is what they had hoped Jesus was going to do. Romans 6, 5 through 10 tells us what Jesus really did, why he came and why he died on the cross. And it says in Romans 6, 5 through 10, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, meaning Jesus, we shall certainly be united in a resurrection like this. This is the hope now, is that if we've been united with Christ in his death, that when Christ died, everybody, all the Jews, the entire world, everyone who places their faith in him, he has gone to that cross and died for all of us. Why? So we can have the hope and the certainty that we will be united with him in a resurrection like this. Much greater than just what these two had hoped done. And it continues, it says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who would have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but you are under grace. Jesus is here pointing to us that we have a better hope. It's not just a hope as to what happens to a nation. It's not just a hope that they had placed in. But we have a better hope. That this hope, that our hope should be placed not on just what we desire, but that we place our hope in what God desires for us. Do you hear that switch a little bit? We often place hope in things we want for ourselves, that we desire. Jesus is giving us a better better new hope, a hope in what God wants for us that goes far beyond anything we can imagine and anything that we would desire. So he's sort of shifting this focus for us. Um, And so... 
And look how what it says. It says, the beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them and all the scriptures concerning himself. So can you imagine being there? <laughs> I, would, I would love to have been there at that time. Listening to Jesus open up the scriptures and showing how everything that has happened in those scriptures. This is just the Old Testament. All of it was pointing to him. And so it says that they drew near. Um, well, let's see. Let me go back. Um, Well, yeah, then it says that so they heard all this happening. They still don't know it's Jesus. It says in verse 28, so they drew near to the village in which they were going. And then Jesus, he acted as if he was going further. Um, but they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, stay with us. For it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. They probably wanted this person to unfold the scriptures even more. And it says, so he went with them and stayed with them. And then it says, when he was at a table, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to him. What is interesting here is the word stay. Notice how it says that it's, they said to him, stay with us, Jesus. Again, sorry, stay with us, this guy. They still don't know who it is, Jesus. And so it says, stay with us. And it says, so they, so he went with them and stayed with them. That word stay is actually the same word that John's going to use in John 15 when it says that Jesus is to abide in us. We are to abide in him. He is to abide in us. They're not even realizing that Jesus is abiding with them right now, that he is actually present with them at this point. And then we get to verse 31. And this is where everything changes. You can imagine for these two, they're sitting down with this man who they don't really know who he is, but they've obviously been very enthralled listening to him as he has taken what they considered their hope that had been lost, and he's trying to show them now a new and a better hope. And so he explains this all to them. He's now sitting down breaks bread with them, and just in one sentence, it says, and their eyes were opened. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. So all of a sudden, just like this light comes on, and they realize, oh my gosh, oh my God, this is my God, (laughs) this is Jesus This is the one who we had hoped for. This is the one who has now opened all these scriptures for us. Think about it. Their hope had been placed into this man who had died on the cross. They had been in despair that this hope had not taken place. And this hope now had been walking with them (laughs) and talking with them and opening up scriptures with them. And all of a sudden, they recognize that he is their hope. They are now certain that their hope is alive. They are now certain that their hope can be fulfilled. They are now certain that that hope is going to be realized for them. I mean, can you just, I can't even imagine what that would feel like. But what's interesting here is what happens is as soon as they recognize him, like that, Jesus is gone. Immediately, can't see him anymore. Would they still have their hope? You bet they would, because now their hope 
has been made certain in Jesus Christ. They have recognized him. They know he is risen. They know that their hope they have placed in him has not only been realized, but now they know that their hope, that they continue to hope for what he's going to do in the future, is something that certainly will take place because they've seen the risen Jesus. They know he will come back. They know he, there will be a second coming. And so now in this hope, we find out that what we're seeing is this better hope is different than the hope all of us ordinarily think about. So the two things I said about hope was ordinary hope is just hope placed in things we desire. This new hope is when we put our hope into the things that God desires for us. But here's the big catch about hope. Remember how I said hope is not certain until it happens. All right? Until it actually happens, hope is not even certain. But there's a difference with this hope that God has given to us. Because as what we just saw there, because Jesus has risen, because he is sitting at the right hand of God, the hope that God gives us now, guess what? It is certain. It will happen. There is no doubt. If Jesus rose from the dead, if he sits at the right hand of God, which we all know and believe, then we have a certain hope for the future. It is not a hope that we have to wonder about, is this going to happen, is this not? It is a hope that has been made certain. So God is taking this hope that we have and saying, there is something certain that you can put your hope in so you're not um, depressed, you're not down, you're not downcast, you're not in despair. It says in Hebrews 6.17, it says, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, which is us, the heirs of the promise of Abraham, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have a strong encouragement to what? Hold fast to this hope that's set before us. And then it says, listen to what Hebrews says about this hope we all now have in Christ. It says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. That word, we have this as a sure, that word is certain. That's what that word means. Our hope is certain. It is different than any other hope we place in anything in the world. It is a certain hope that we have this. And it's because of that certainty of that hope that we do communion. I wish we could do communion today. <laughs> is when we take communion, it says in First Corinthians, we are when taking it, that is a way we express our hope because we are showing that we believe that because of what Jesus did in the past, that we're reading now, that he was resurrected from the dead, saved us from our sins, we now have the certain hope of what he's going to give us in the future. And what is that hope? What is this hope that we are supposed to be placing our certainty in? First of all, and most important, that hope is Jesus himself. When we place our faith in God, we have the spirit of God, Jesus' own presence living in us. 
That ultimately is our hope. It is not in something happening. It is in the person of Jesus himself. But then we have a hope, everybody, for the future. And I want to read it to us because we need, if there's any day we need reminding, any time we need reminding, it is now. What is the hope that is certain that we are all looking forward to? This is from Revelation 21. This is the ultimate hope that we have. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now, I'm hoping, all you surfers out there, maybe I'm still hoping God changes that a little bit. <laughs> okay? I'm not a surfer, but I love the ocean. Um, it's so deep because I come here in the mornings, and when it's all quiet, I just acquired it. You can hear those waves coming in of the sea. All right. But it says, and the sea was no more. And it says, I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be, the, will be with them as their God. What greater hope than that? That we will be with God, and God will be with us. And then it says, he will wipe, this is our certain hope, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Can I just say hallelujah? <laughs> is that, what, that is what we hope for, everybody. We hope for a day that is made certain because of Jesus' resurrection. We know for certain that one day there will be no more death. Hallelujah. There will be no more sin. There will be no more evil. And we will be with God. That is the certain hope that we've been given. And that's why in Hebrews, Hebrews 11.1 1 ties faith to that hope. How do we, why have we been given faith? We've been given that faith to give us that certainty of hope that's going to ha- um, happen. In, in Hebrews 11.1 1, it says, Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So faith gives us a certainty of things hoped for. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Another way of putting it, faith is the reality. The faith in us gives us the reality of the things that are hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. A couple other ways to talk about it. Faith is living in accord with the reality of things hoped for. Are you living today? With that hope, we live and are to live in accord with the reality of the very things we just read that we hope for. Faith is what makes things hoped for real to the believer. That is why when you place your faith in Christ, all of a sudden you have a reality that these things that we have hoped for are really going to happen. That's why if you haven't placed your faith in Christ, this is the day to do it. Because when we place our faith in Christ, we are given a certainty of that hope, a reality that those things are placed in there. 
And so I would invite, if, that's, if today is the day that you don't know Christ, make today the day you do know him by placing your faith in this one who is the risen Lord. And I want to end really with, um, as it, it goes on, and then the last part of this uh, passage, as we end, it says, And they rose at the same hour, these two, and they returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them, the other disciples, gathered together. And what was everyone saying? They were all saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And when they told what had happened on the road and how he was with them in the breaking of the bread. The Lord has risen indeed. Can we all say that? The Lord has risen indeed. I mean, hallelujah again. I mean, this is our hope. This is what we get excited about. This is what gets us through day by day, no matter how hard it gets, that we are certain of this hope. And as we think about that certainty of that hope, um, I think one of the things we can do, how to make that hope real, when we're feeling ourselves downcast and wondering what's going on with our hope, one of the best ways to make this hope real is for you to go tell it to someone. Go tell someone the hope that we have. When you encounter someone who's downcast, who's depressed, who's in despair because they look at what's going on in the world and they've lost out their hope, that's the time that you can share this hope with them and say the Lord has risen indeed and share this hope that they have with them. So I want to end um, almost like a benediction with us and uh, just again reminding us of this hope that we got, that we have in Hebrews ten nineteen. Now listen to what it says. I want to end with this. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, who we just read died on the cross by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest, this is Jesus today, we have a great priest sitting at the right hand of God over the house of God. What are we to do? We're to let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings the full assurance and certainty of the hope that we talked about. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from the guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. And then let us, let's listen to what it says. Let us hold unswervingly, stay steady, to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may what now spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some of you are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I love this. And let us not, and let us consider how spur one another toward love and good deeds, not giving up on meeting together. I'm so delighted that all of you are here, <laughs> that you've not given up in meeting together. Um, and this is the time that we have now to really just spur one another by loving each other, showing those good deeds to one another, and sharing this certain hope that Christ has given us.
God bless you all. Thank you all for being here. And have a great day. Have a great day. Amen. Amen.